Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to personally invite you to register for our next workshop coming up October 13th through the 15th in Colorado in the foothills of the majestic Rocky Mountains. So call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY. That's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com. You're listening to Pure Sex Radio, training men, educating women. Brought to you by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us on the web at puresexradio.com. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. We're so glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and we have a very special guest on the line with us. We have Ann Kerr from the True North Freedom Project. So, uh, Ann, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be with you. Yeah, so uh, I, I want to I want Ann to be able to kind of unpack her story and just kind of how she's gotten into ministry and all that. But before we do that, um, I just want to let you all know, our listeners, as I do periodically, that uh, we're a listener-supported program, and what that means is the only way that you're hearing our voices is because of faithful partners that have come alongside of us and decided to support this ministry. And folks, it's really cool because God is continuing to expand our reach. You know, we've got listeners in over 100 countries, and, and when we see these reports of where people are listening to this program, sometimes I'm absolutely flabbergasted because... People are listening in countries that are closed, and people are listening to somehow getting access to this program in places that are uh, very anti-gospel parts of the world. And so we're just grateful to those of you who are allowing us to to bring light into very dark places. And so if you would like to uh, come alongside and partner with us so we can continue to reach even more people with the good news of Jesus and his hope for freedom and purity— please just go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate link. Well, Ann, I'm really glad that we were able to make uh, this connection work and be able to get you on the program because uh, I just think it's really going to benefit our listeners. And so I want to just hand it off to you and maybe just you can let our listeners just kind of know who you are, kind of where you've come from, a little bit about your story, and then and then maybe we can talk a little bit about how you got into uh, into the ministry that you're doing. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I'm a Southern girl. I grew up just outside of Atlanta in a big Catholic family. I met Jesus through some Protestant friends, actually, in high school, and had a a great uh, walk with Jesus, but a little bit on the fence at times. And I found uh, through my college years that I loved Jesus, but I didn't really know how to walk with him, especially in authenticity. And that's something that over the last, you know, 40 years, God's been showing me more Mm -hmm. of. But um, I'm grateful for my big family and a lot of love. Um, One thing, my dad 
always said he wanted 12 children and he only got nine. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) What a bummer. Um, That's still a pretty full quiver. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, what it really said to me was I was wanted Mm. And I, I internalized that, and I have clung to that. And, um, you know, then as my understanding of God grew, I realized, wow, I was, I was really wanted by God, too. Like, He, he created me intentionally. And um, I stayed in Atlanta. I went to Georgia Tech for college. I'm not an engineer. I'm about as far away from an engineer as you can imagine. But I did meet my husband there, and that was probably one of the best things that came out of my Georgia Tech degree. He uh, was an architect, a architecture major, and we dated off and on for about six years and got married and had God gave us three wonderful children. And I began what I believe is will always be my favorite job, which was to I was blessed to be able to stay home with them. So for 23 years, that's that's what I did. I raised children and did the mom thing and loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. So what has what what was your um, understanding growing up when it came to, you know, sexuality and and all of those kinds of issues uh, growing up in your home and just even kind of your experience of just going from childhood to adolescence to adulthood. What was the framework that you were given early on for sexuality? Well, I think growing up Catholic, you know, it's kind of interesting because I don't believe my parents, you know, used any artificial birth control. So we, I'm sure they didn't. And um, so in that sense, I think sexuality was, in a sense, honored. I love the way the Catholic Church um, honors it like that, and that sex is a good thing. Um, Now, in terms of what I learned about it, it was pretty minimal, I think, probably similar to a lot of people in my generation. You know, my mom had a talk with me about sex, but that was pretty much it. And then when I was in the fifth grade, I did see pornography for the first time, and it was very it was very jolting um, and very interesting. And I, uh, you know, I, I was surprised by it. I was surprised by my interest. But even before that, you know, as I look back, I remember, oh, wow, I actually was intrigued with the National Geographic magazines and with the Sears catalog. And not that it was an obsession, but... There was, an, there was an interest there, and there were feelings that I didn't really understand. And, of course, now I know those are very God-given natural feelings. And um, so I kind of just internalized all of that. And then uh, um, I was growing up in the, like, 60s and 70s, and so pornography was becoming a little more um, out in the open, I guess. And I did see it more places as I became a teenager and again, didn't really have a framework for it. Um, no one was talking about it. I didn't. I was very intrigued with it. I would see it when I went to babysit sometimes, and so all of that kind of skewed a little bit. I I think my view of, of sex and sexuality. I know it did. I know the enemy used it in very negative ways um, because I realized now what I was seeing was not at all God's design, mm-hmm. and um, so. That, sadly, kind of set me up, I think, for for some promiscuity in college. And again, I was kind of just trying to do that in isolation, you know. Um, when I say do that, like, just live the Christian life authentically. I wasn't really living authentically with other people. I was struggling with some sin mm. and couldn't really find the words to talk with anyone about it. I think 
I think looking back, the enemy did put a lot of shame over my sexuality and even my body image um, because of the things that I had seen in porn. It's very sad. It's very destructive. So my husband and I, we did, we struggled some with sexual sin. And honestly, it was the only reason we ever broke up was because we felt like, wow, we're Christians, but we can't seem to get this part right. Mm. And we didn't really understand why. So over six years that we dated, we broke up several times. And it was always because of that, because we're very compatible and we love each other very much. (laughs) And then we got married and, you know, then God had other interesting things for for us in terms of sexuality, which I know we're going to get into. Yeah. So you, you had this, this great framework growing up of feeling wanted as a child, right? You felt included. You felt like you belonged. You felt like you were received. And then as sexuality begins to blossom and you are introduced to some things and there's not a, not a whole lot of um, explicit talk in your home about the topic and how do you address it and then getting into college, it seems like you had this wonderful foundation of family uh, embrace, but then that didn't maybe extend to a really robust education on this central aspect of your being, of being sexual, right? I mean, is that fair or or is that a... Am I wrong? Yeah, and no, I think that's very typical too of that era, and mm-hmm. and even the era that we live in now. Frankly, as as I talk with a lot of women, I realize most people don't really have a have a real clear understanding of why we're even sexual, and um, what that looks like in the greater scheme of our walk with Jesus, and how He can use um, the longings that we have and and the struggles that we have to lead us closer to him. So yeah, I think, you know, you can't give away what you don't have. I think my, I think my parents probably gave me what they had and maybe a little bit more, you know, they, they, they probably tried, but Mm -hmm. sin is always crouching at the door, isn't it? You know, like there were things that went on in my childhood home that were not, they were not great either. Yeah. yeah, And so um, just seeing pornography various places, I, I just, I think the hardest thing for me was not really being able to talk about it because I was so filled with shame over my interest in it. Yeah. Well, so you had this interest in it, but then you also talked about body image. Can you share a little bit about that? Because I think that's an extremely common thing, especially for for women. I think it certainly exists in men, but it seems like it really uh, maybe captures a woman in a different way than it does men in terms of body image. So can you share a little bit of that, especially for our female listeners? Yes, it really does. And it's not just pornography. It is the way our culture objectifies the female body mm. and holds up a, a certain standard that is not at all really, you know, indicative of the culture or, and, it, and it's certainly not honoring of um, the fact that God made every single one of us perfectly in his plan, uh, in his design for our purposes that he had already ordained for our lives. So yes, I think um, Barbie dolls, I mean, you know, obviously we could make a whole list of things, but I was just a normal girl growing up, but I saw pictures and displays and images of women that had a very certain body type. Mm -hmm. And then as my body began to develop, 
I realized I didn't look exactly like them. And I began to doubt even kind of the goodness of God. Like, um, why, why not? You know, because obviously to me, that was the, that was what men wanted. That must be what they wanted or they wouldn't put pictures like that in magazines. Yeah. And so when my body didn't develop quite the exact same way and I didn't have a, a very clear understanding that my body was developing exactly the way God wanted it to, I think the enemy then seized that moment and began to plant doubt in my mind. And isn't that just like the Garden of Eden? You know, did God really say, right. or surely God didn't mean this? You know, I began to doubt um, in some ways the goodness of God. But then there was a mixture because I also... I began to enjoy some of the good feelings of, you know, sexual activity in college. And so um, I began to realize that, so there's pleasure, you know, there's really pleasure attached Mm -hmm. to this also. So I think it becomes a very toxic kind of mix in your mind if you don't have a real firm foundation and understanding of sexuality when all these other influences come in. I mean, even right now, my husband and I, there are several Hooters restaurants in our um, in our city of Atlanta, and you know sometimes guys will make a joke about a Hooters restaurant. And I said to to my husband Greg the other day, I said, I just and I'm not trying to be really legalistic, but I said I just don't think men really realize how much that messes with women. Right. It's just it's degrading. Well, it's kind of like I and, think I think the way that men often carry our our shame regarding our sexuality, it's very connected to performance. You know, a, a man may be looking at pornography and going, I don't measure up to the stud, so to speak, in terms of performance. Mm-hmm. I think maybe for a woman, what you, what I'm hearing you say is the shame is carried in her image, her, her appearance. And so, because um, I'm hearing a lot of shame connected with what you're talking about regarding body image. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and maybe that's one of the ways that it manifests and we don't realize the degree to which that is just rampant in our culture is we are imposing that shame earlier and earlier on young girls to where if you don't measure up and we're doing that to boys too, but I think maybe for boys, it's more performance oriented and for girls, it's more image oriented. I don't know. I could be wrong, but it seems like that's kind of how it manifests. Yeah, and it's not even just so much um, measuring up. That's part of it. I think that's maybe an entry way into some of that just wrong thinking, you know. But girls today, they really, um, I think even more so than when I was growing up, they believe that um, their purpose, many of them, especially if they don't have a real godly view of themselves, they believe that their purpose in life is to please a boy. Like, some children and teens today that become sexually active, they don't even understand that God created sex to be pleasurable for both a man and a woman. And obviously within marriage, that's where the safety comes and the security comes. And that's where when you literally give your heart and soul away in sex, if you do it within marriage, it's safe there. If you do it outside of marriage, it's dangerous, it's vulnerable, you get hurt, you get wounded when that breakup happens. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, it makes me sad because I see this culture, like with sexting and everything else, and, and boys are beginning to expect girls to just give them images of themselves. Right, right. It's 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 sad, but that's what happens. I think there's a lot of sexual confusion, you know, in our culture, and I know the enemy's behind a lot of it. Um, 
today. So, yeah, I did struggle with some of that. But then I, there was also a mixture of, once I began to experiment a little bit sexually, of just the power that comes with that. Sure. You know, and it there's there are powerful feelings associated with it. And there's a real bonding that was happening, you know, in my mind um, with Greg. And, again, that was meant for marriage, but I was experiencing all of that outside of marriage. And so it just began to... And so there was also shame over the sin. I think that's what I'm trying to get to. It wasn't just shame over my body. It was shame over the right, fact that right. I knew what we were doing was wrong. And I was confessed. Um, I didn't go so far as to confess to other people. You know, maybe that would have been a game changer for me. I don't know. Now, what would you say to the person out there? Because I, I, wanna, I want us, our listeners to hear also once you got married and how, did, how you, um, you were able to process through you know, some of the shame, then the sin, and then getting married, and then, you know, having to, and then, and then also even how that operated in terms of how you, uh, when you started having kids, you know, how did you, you know, what messaging did you give to your kids regarding sexuality growing up and all of that? But um, how did you work through the, the, the shame element? Like, when did you start kind of maybe addressing that in an intentional way? Like, what were some of the things that happened that caused you to realize, oh, this is something I need I need healing from, I need to work through? You know, I think it, it probably did take me a lot longer than I wish it had. I think um, it, it probably affected me more than I realized. I, don't, I probably didn't have a name for it early on, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so then when I did get married and I... I really was with the love of my life, and I, there was security in that marriage. I think for me, God used that a little bit to begin to break away, you know, some of that shame. And and I also, just as I began to grow in spiritual maturity through the years, um, truth from Scripture, you know, I've always loved Psalm 139, but just that idea of just the truth that God literally knit us together. You know, he, he knew from before anyone even knew there would be a me. He knew what I would look like. He knew what my body would look like. He knew that it would be created specifically for my husband in our marriage. And it was exactly what my husband would need. And, um, and, but then I also, in the, in the last few years, I've been learning more just about the bonding chemicals within sex. And so I realized, wow. So even, even if my body or anyone's body looks, you know, different than what they wish it did, there's still the bonding that goes on oh, yeah. um, in sex. And and I think that's a beautiful gift from God within marriage, because what that says is whether I'm heavier or thinner or pregnant or, you know, my skin begins to really sag, like, Greg is still going to be attracted to me. He is still going to want my body, and, and that's partly because of, chemicals that have that mm-hmm. God has given him in his brain that are that are paired with my body. And so it's just a beautiful design that God had really for sex and you know the chemical processes that go on with it. Yeah. And obviously like you said, you know, sin and the enemy of course are wanting to manipulate all of that in a way to get us away from that design. You know, uh, multiple partners have body image issues, think that, you know, God made a mistake, um, implant thoughts and ideas into your mind that get your desires shifted in a way that are outside of that, saying that, you know, really, 
I'm biologically a man, but I want to be a woman. Just all those kinds of things that are the deceptive manipulation of of a very real enemy that wants to take this good design that is for the sake of bonding a man and a woman for life and get it all distracted in all these other ways that create shame, division, depression, you know, all kinds of things like that. So as you get further into your marriage, you have kids, tell me a little bit about how you and your husband were wanting to, um, you know, pass along or just how did you raise your kids when it came to sexuality? Well, we certainly were very affirming of their bodies. We named body parts from the very beginning. Um, we didn't have the cutesy names um, for things. Right, <laughs> so right. I think in many ways that was a good start. I wish I could say, wow, we just really knocked it out of the park. You know, like we just Well, and none of us can say that, right. okay? <laughs> Any parent that would tell oh, well, me that, I'm thinking you're lying. <laughs> oh, I know, and and in some ways, I think I I kind of patted myself on the back because I thought, well, I, I gave him a little more than you know I was given growing up, right. and and so um, we we definitely talked about things. I think we used the um, Brennan Brenna Jones series, um, God's Design for Sex. So we we did have some good books that we read with the kids, starting when they were, you know four or five years old, there's a, there's one for that level. And so there, we use some of those resources just to have ongoing conversations. But I, I don't, I mean, looking back, um, I realized that we, we did miss a lot of opportunities and partly because we didn't, again, you can't give away what you don't have. So sure, yeah. Greg and I, Greg and I, neither one, I think growing up as our kids were growing up, I don't know that either one of us really had a real solid understanding of God's good design for our sexuality. And I think we both carried a little bit of shame still mm. as our kids were growing up. It's really only been probably in the last, I don't know, five or six years um, that God has kind of opened up our eyes to some new things that now, you know, are, are impacting my work. Sure. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, we've, we've got, a, we've got a few minutes left here. And so, um, when did the transition start to happen to where you started feeling a call into, uh, this area of ministry? How did that happen? Well, when my youngest left for college, I knew that, I, my mothering years were, you know, kind of coming to a close or taking a different direction. And I, I wanted to just see what God had for me. I began praying and he opened up my eyes to the issue of human trafficking. So that was eight years ago. And I began volunteering and then eventually working for an organization that was helping women get out of the life of prostitution in Atlanta. And we had a 24 seven hotline and we would literally go and pick up a woman if she was ready to leave and to get into a program and, and through that, I my eyes were just really opened up to true brokenness. I, I just had, it was so sad seeing the woundedness of these women. They were wounded emotionally, often physically, certainly sexually. Mm-hmm. And I realized that we had to do something to stop sex trafficking. And I didn't know what it was, but I, I'm just very practical. And I just thought we can't keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And so... In my prayers, God um, began to just reveal some things to me about the fact that other the people that were perpetuating it were broken also. So, And it's mostly men and uh, the buyers, whatever you want to call them. 
are that are out there, they need rescue of a different kind, and they need a rescue of the heart, and they need to understand their own worth and their own value before you know they could ever begin to stop doing all that. And so, in that, in terms of that, I realized well, pornography is really kind of the gateway to all of that. It's hard to get to that place of buying someone for sex without going through that gateway of pornography. And then as we began to look at pornography, we realized, wow, pornography, is it's just pervasive. It impacts so much of our culture and, and the, the sexualized culture in general. And it's causing, you know, destruction in marriages and lives. And it's making parents ill-equipped to lead their own children through mm-hmm. it. So we decided to deal with the issue of pornography. And because we know that the only freedom that can be found true freedom from any sort of enslavement or bondage and pornography is bondage in many ways is through Christ. And so we began to look at the church and we thought, well, how, so what's the church doing about this or or how are they handling this or what are they saying? And, and sadly we just realized that a lot of churches don't know how to talk about sexuality in general. And they certainly don't really know how to talk about sexual sin or sexual brokenness. So we saw a real opportunity in the church mm-hmm. to begin to help people talk about these things more normally, educate them a little bit, let the Holy Spirit do some work in their own lives so that we can normalize these very important conversations about sex and sexuality, why we're even sexual, what do we do with these longings, what do we do with these desires, what if, you know, just all, everything related to it. Because really sexuality is one of the most common aspects of our being. Everyone is sexual. Yeah, Yeah, and yet the church in general, uh, or Christians in general, don't really seem to know how to talk about it. So when you say when you say we, were there some other folks alongside of you in these birthing stages of uh, this ministry? The uh, the man that started the organization, the rescue organization, he was so encouraging of my leaving that to start True North. And then my board chair, her name is Deb, and she has given so much to this work. And yes, there have been others. I, I have a huge prayer team that is behind me. Um, in general, though, the work is, I, I'm the only employee right now with True North, so and Deb is my board chair, so we do a lot of the work. And, but certainly a lot of encouragement from pastors in the area that we, we met with them, and they loved what, what we were doing, what we were attempting to do. It was huge. You know, it's like um, only if God was in it, you know, would it even succeed? And mm-hmm. so, yes, yeah. yes, there have been many others. So then at, at first, what was your what was kind of your main intention with True North? Well, you're wanting to get information to pastors. You're wanting to just kind of create awareness. Um, what has been the, the main emphasis? And maybe, you know, as with any ministry, sometimes it changes along the way. Yeah, it really, it does. I mean, it has. Um, we want to do all of that. I mean, we real, we want pastors to understand this better, but we also realize that almost any real significant change it kind of has to start at the ground level. And so we started looking for opportunities to reach people, just normal people, you know, and my heart is really for women and moms. I mean, mm. I have a heart for anyone who struggles in this area. Or, But I see opportunity with the moms of today because I realize, wow, they've got these little ones in their houses and 
they're doing life with them, and if I can help them understand how to impart some things that I really could have used when I was younger and and things I I could have used as I was raising my own children. So in a sense, um, our ministry is, I'm writing a book for younger women, so that's Mm -hmm. certainly going to be a big part of what we do. But then a little bit bigger um, emphasis is to to really help pastors understand um, a little more of what's going on, that it's not just a list of what not to do. It, you know, it, it's helping people understand how they were created and how that was a good design. Yeah. And um, God had good purposes for it. And of course, with any good thing, the enemy can help get it off track, you know, but sure. then God can even use that. Like he's just limitless in what he can use to draw people to himself. Well, Ann, we've we've got about a minute left, and I would love for our listeners to know how they can get in touch with you through True North. Uh, I'd also love for you to come back next time because we've got more to cover, I think, in terms of just maybe some insights and practical steps for folks who are struggling. So would you be willing to just give our listeners your uh, your website and, and uh, some information on how they can connect with you? Yes, thank you. Well, our website is True North and then F as in freedom, P as in project, dot org. So truenorthfp.org. And we have a blog on there. Um, we have lots of resources and things. And then I'd be happy to share my email if anyone wants to get in touch with me. It's just Anne, A-N-N-E-K, at truenorthfp.org. I would I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And we'll, we'll post that uh to our site listeners so that you can have access to that as well. But Ann, thanks for being with us. Um, it was just, it's great to hear your story and just how God is such a, a redeemer and uh, redeems our mess and turns it into a, a great message for others. So thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And listeners, we're glad you were with us and we look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.